Some months ago, I was in China, in Beijing, and uh, I was giving lectures at different universities. Um, <coughs> one university is Minzu University. Uh, and there I was invited to give talk in the Department of Philosophy and Religion. Uh, and so I thought, well, let's do something, uh, let's try s something comparative. Comparison. Comparison of ideas in different traditions. So my, my basic idea was how to connect Chinese tradition to Indian. Because people in China, mm, tend to see China as the center of the universe. Just like people in India tend to see India as the center of the universe. Americans, oh, they have a big problem with this. Um, the name, the, the Chinese name for China is Zhongguo, which means the, the, the central kingdom. <laughs> so for them, you know, this is the world. And um, people in China know a lot, or they're aware. There's there is a tradition of uh, of Buddhism in China since many centuries, and of course, Buddhism came from India. Uh, many people are not aware that Buddhism came from India, or they just don't think about it. Or uh, they think, yeah, it came from India, but the real Buddhism has come about, has manifest here in China. Um, and so I thought I should say something about Buddhism as well as Chinese tradition. And so, but what I wanted to do was to focus entirely on some basic concepts. Now, I should also explain something else I'm, I've been thinking about and discussing also. Uh, I mentioned yesterday, a few weeks ago, I was in Ukraine. They have big, big festival there. And uh, I gave a seminar on the topic of what I call dialogical Vaishnavism. Dialogical Vaishnavism. This idea is a little bit strange for some Vaishnavas, unfortunately, although it shouldn't be, I feel. Dialogical means having dialogue. <laughs> and what is dialogue? Dialogue means you have at least two people and they speak with each other. And when there's speaking, there's conversation. and One person will speak and the other will listen and then, then the other person will speak and the first person will listen. And there's some back and forth like that. I, I mention this because uh, some some devotees think uh, we don't do that. No, okay, that's all right. Um, we could transfer it to another machine, but that'll take too long. So that's okay. All right, listening is anyway the real thing, right? Thank you for trying. <laughs> It's the fault of this machine, not that machine. These, these Mac machines, they think they're very special. 
We can only work with other Mac things. Uh, what to do? <coughs> Sometimes. Uh, <clears throat> well, so we have to imagine. Uh, we made we made a, a a PowerPoint, as they call it, Shakti Bindu, <laughs> and. Uh, what happened to the bag? There's a bag here. Here it is. Uh, so anyway, I'll explain some things. Yeah, dialogue. Dialogue is about you know back and forth, but sometimes, sometimes, uh, devotees think we're not we're not into that. We're only into one way, one way street. We give out the mercy, right? We're a preaching mission. We give. And that's a nice idea to give. Uh, but also we hear about receiving from Rupa Goswami, isn't it? Dadati, pratigrinati, guhyamakyati, prichati. That's actually a form of dialogue. Guhyamakyati, prichati speak, asking uh, and hearing about guhyam, about confidential topics. But also on a wider scale. And one of the things we discussed in Ukraine uh, was uh, the official ISKCON statement on interreligious dialogue. Did you know there's such a thing? Yeah, there is. And it's actually quite nice. It's very uh, comprehensive. I mean, it's very uh, inclusive and it's very encouraging for dialogue. Um, it, was a it was officially, it was drafted by a group of devotees and then it was approved by the GBC some of those who have drafted this document sometimes mention it to GBC members and show it to them and they go, did we pass that? Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, so, but to do good, to have good dialogue, there has to be a sense of understanding there has to be some awareness there uh, it helps to have some knowledge about uh, the other tradition I put this in Klamran uh, other tradition that one may be uh, interacting with um, in Germany there's a tradition what's called Vergleichende Religionswissenschaft. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Sounds scary. Um. <laughs> the idea, uh, of course, there is not dialogue so much, but the idea is to make comparisons. And through comparisons, anyway, there's a whole history why Germany in particular got into this. But there's different ways to do comparison. But for me, the the idea is to make connection and to help myself have a broader, deeper sense of what I identify with, my own tradition of Vaishnavism. And then to possibly open up uh, for others in a way which is not mm, pushing aside their tradition, but rather is somehow inclusive. Srila Prabhupada sometimes would say, um, we don't want to change people's faith. If you are a Christian, become a better Christian. If you're a Buddhist, become a better 
I don't know if he mentioned it in relation to Buddhism, but the idea was there. Well, uh, this topic, because I was in China, is about connecting Buddhism, Confucianism, and I didn't say Vaishnavism. Uh, I spoke of three specific concepts, compassion, karuna, which is there in our tradition, but which Buddhists often see as especially a Buddhist idea. In Confucian tradition, there's the idea of what they call ren. It's usually transcribed with an R, R-E-N, but it's sort of ren, ren, ren. We can say ren, it's easier. Mm. Which is usually translated into English simply as humanity. Humanity in the sense of human, um, being human <laughs> in, a, in, a com, in a compassionate sort of way. <laughs> you can say like that. And then from, from India, from South India, I took the term ahimsa. And yeah, my idea was let's, let's see what we can do uh, how we can put these together or how we can relate these to each other. So I thought I'd share this with you. What do you think? Is this a good idea? We're not in China. So you might say, wir sind doch in Deutschland. Let's imagine we're in China for a while, Okay. Yes, why not? Maybe we were there in a past life. Um, and I've chosen these terms because also we all notice anytime we read a newspaper or uh, a news, you know, on the internet, uh, we see, what do we see? So much conflict, uh, so much violence so many conditions of disturbance which seem to be um, opposed to or lacking in any of these cultures of compassion, of ren and of ahimsa. So I thought let's, let's just have a look at them and, and see what they are about so I started with, uh, with the idea of karuna and then Confucian idea of ren. And of course, whenever you make a comparison, you're also going to get differences. <laughs> as soon as you try to say, oh, this is just the same as that, um, you're probably not being very accurate. So you'll notice differences at the same time as, um, as something similar. Uh, on the side of karuna, you know this word, yeah? Karuna. We sometimes translate as compassion. Um, it's associated with Buddhism and from the perspective of our understanding of how Buddhism came about, uh, as Srila Prabhupada would explain, um, at the time of Gautama Buddha, uh, there was a lot of uh, ritual sacrifice going on in which animals would be uh, sacrificed, they would be slaughtered. And there's various statements in uh, Sanskrit, now we call Hindu, Vedic uh, literature, saying things such as uh, when the animal is sacrificed, the animal will 
be elevated. Sometimes it just says will be elevated. Sometimes it will say uh, will go to Svarga. Such idea is there. But uh, whether that happens, uh, especially in this present age, when the priests may be less than qualified, is a question. And it seems that the practice of sacrifice was getting mm, overdone. Too many sacrifices were being done. Too many animals. And so uh, the Buddhists, Buddha Buddha himself, protested. He said, what is this? And the the Brahmins, as as it's explained, uh, the Brahmins said, we're simply following the Vedic injunctions. And the Buddha's response was, well then, I reject the Veda. That was a very radical thing to do. But his point was, and of course uh, the later tradition will say, the Buddha is one of the ten major avatars of Vishnu. So you have Vishnu himself rejecting the Veda. Interesting. But why is he doing? In order to institute uh, or in order to bring the alternative, which is karuna. And by uh, relating this to uh, the concern for animals, of course, uh, Buddhism became prominent for its uh, emphasis on extending karuna to all sentient beings, all beings who have um, have, sen- have have sensation, not just human beings, not just certain animals, but all sentient beings. On the side of Confucianism, uh, con, uh, what is it? Konsu. Confucius, Confucius is Kong Tzu in Putong <coughs> Hua, um, Chinese. Uh, here, this idea of Ren, I should say, Confucius, uh, Confucius uh, lived around the time of Buddha, so five centuries before the Common Era. Uh, and people have noticed some interesting connections that way. Um, he was trying to reform governments in in China. Um, he was something of a wandering sage because although he wanted to act as a minister uh, for different kings, um, none of them would take him on. Um, because he tended to speak what he thought. He tended to say what he, what he meant, and often they didn't like that, because he was very straightforward in what he said. He was especially concerned with human relationships, and this included uh, family relationships, especially relations parents to children, children to parents. But actually there were five relationships he was concerned with. And his idea was that if these relationships are proper, then everything will function nicely. So it's a matter of establishing proper relations. And these are relations of hierarchy. This was very important for Confucius, that there is the king, there is the citizen, so king, citizen, Uh, there's father, son, there's older brother, younger brother, always in that relationship. That was his idea. and he he was aware, or he appreciated, that um, human beings have 
strongest feelings for those who are closest to us. So our relative, our friend, our 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 parents, our children, we have very strong feelings for them. And so his idea was, let's take that feeling which is there, which is natural, and see how we can extend it, how we can expand it outward. Which is a sort of, uh, not a bad idea, we can say. Starting with experience and going from there. Um, so Confucius was, was very, uh, he was quite practical. Incidentally, from the Greek tradition, we have, you've all heard of Aristotle, yes? I know you read Aristotle for bedtime reading. Yeah? No. <laughs> A lot of fun. You should try it sometime. Put you to sleep real fast. <laughs> He was quite an amazing uh, person, Aristotle, quite a philosopher. Um, most of what we have written by him was not actually written by him, but by his students, apparently, who were taking notes about his lectures. Anyway, he speaks about uh, an, a, a, a Greek idea. He calls it eleos. What is eleos? Eleos is the feeling of pain that is experienced by another person. And so one perceives the pain of another person. And that is significant. We are not... Um, what's the condition of... We are not, most of us fortunately are not autistic. Autism is a condition where you cannot relate to others' feelings at all, right? Uh, but uh, we relate to others' feelings. And Aristotle <coughs> identified this as alios. But for Aristotle, this alios was. Nice, but not really a key, not a central idea. <clears throat> However, it wasn't a central virtue. Aristotle wrote about virtues. But this was not a central virtue, to have that sense of others' However, for the Buddhists and for the Confucians, Karuna and Rin, very important. Central, central virtues. So that's nice. Um, a sort of definition of Ren, and if you wanted to know what the, what the sign for Ren looks like. See, that's a little bit of a problem. There's two different, there's actually three different words that we would transcribe as Ren. And one of them is, um, which one? I never remember. One of them is Ren, and one is Ren, and the other is Ren, something like that. And they're three totally different words. And, and written completely different. But this Ren is, um, it's, it's a vertical mark like this with a little on the side. And then it has two marks like this, parallel. That's Ren. So this, this part means person. And these two parallel marks means two Two persons. <laughs> Yi er er means two, uh, and then this is the problem with learning Chinese: uh, that um, the signs, the the the, um, the 
this, how to say, the alphabet. It's an alphabet with minimum 3,000 different symbols. And not one of them sounds like what it looks like. It's not a phonetic. It's not, you can't learn how it sounds from what it looks like. You just have to memorize. And even that doesn't tell you what it means. <laughs> Actually, I said 3,000, some say 50,000. <laughs> Different signs. Okay, <clears throat> here, you, here we are with a definition of the negative golden rule. Do not impose upon others what you yourself do not desire. You know the positive form of the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Chinese don't think that way. They think other way around. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Uh, this is one aspect of, uh, of Ren, which is called Shu, which means sympathetic understanding. Uh, and according to Confucius, there is one word by which one can guide one's entire life. And that's shu, sympathetic understanding. Sounds good. Okay. Meng Tzu, he was another philosopher. He was a follower of um, of Confucius, next generation, I think. He spoke of sympathy for others' suffering as a basic human disposition and he gave an example it's a famous example you maybe even heard this you're walking along and you're walking by one water well and there's a small child about to fall into the well what do you do do you just go oh that's interesting there's a child falling in the well. Oh well, it's too bad for him. No, naturally you will go rush over and stop the child from falling in the well, right? And Meng Tzu, or Mencius, as he's known in the West, uh, will say, we will do that out of completely pure impulse. That is to say, we won't first think, well, if I save the child, maybe the parents will give me a reward. We don't, we don't start calculating. We naturally just go to save the child. Uh, this is part of his argument for saying that human beings are essentially good because there's a big debate in China. Are people essentially good? or essentially evil. So Mencius was on the good side. He said, oh. <clears throat> He had an idea of compassion, which was that uh, it's about not being cruel to others. Okay, well, maybe. Maybe that's good. Okay, early Buddhism. You didn't. You didn't come here today to hear about Buddhism. You're all looking at me like this. <laughs> Sorry about this. <laughs> the Buddha was seen as the perfect embodiment of compassion, uh, and uh, according there are many Buddhist texts, and according to one. He himself considered himself as such. Uh, and it's generally said that this was his basic motivation for, uh, for teaching what he taught. It was compassion. Uh, 
It's also, I find very um, interesting that it's one of four what are called divine abidings or Brahma-vihara. Now you'll find two of these mentioned explicitly in the Bhagavad Gita. One is Karana and the other is Maitra. Uh, or in Pali it's called Metta. Um, compassion, Karana. Not being able to bear the sufferings of others or quivering at the pain of others. You know the word quivering, shaking? In the Bhagavad Gita also Krishna speaks of his own shaking with compassion. Tesham evanukampartam aham jam tama anukamparta anukampa kampa means shaking anukampa, ongoing shaking. I shake, Krishna says, with compassion for those who are in darkness and therefore I illuminate uh, in their hearts. Nashayami atma bhavasto jnana deepena basvata. I illuminate basvata, uh, the hearts of the devotees. Okay, what is this Brahma Vihara? This is, I find, very interesting. It's a very nice principle, really. There are four, four principles of Brahma Vihara. One is Karana, one is Maitra. Maitra means, comes from Mitra, which means friend, so friendliness. Uh, in English, they, Buddhists often translate as loving kindness. And then third, there is Mudita, which means uh, sympathetic joy Specifically, joy in others' happiness. In other words, not being envious if somebody else is happy. For whatever reason they're happy, be happy. They're happy. Oh, this person's happy. Great. I'm happy that they're happy. Nice. And finally, upeka or upeksha, uh, which means equanimity, being equal, uh, it has different senses. One is, um, the one we'll mention here, is the sense of equality amongst all beings. Now, these four, in some Buddhist meditation traditions, they'll take each one of these and make it a practice to expand outward. So, for example, friendliness. You start, Maitra, you start with thinking of someone that you're already friends with. And you, you, you feel that friendliness that you feel. No problem. Easy, right? Now, take someone mentally that you don't know. Maybe you, you see them around, but you don't have a friendly relation with them. And you meditate on extending the feeling of friendliness to that person. Then it gets a step further to someone who's maybe not so friendly. <laughs> and you extend that feeling of friendliness mentally to that person. And like that, you extend outward the feeling which you already have and all you have to do is um, by your meditation extend it outward. Cool, yeah? No, that's what Buddhists do. We don't do that. <laughs> Compassion, same thing. Thinking how one feels for someone who is near and dear, who is suffering, uh, one wants to help, how to extend that out, how to extend it, extend it, extend it. Not just to human beings, but to other, to all sentient beings. So this, 
This is the practice. Sympathetic joy, mudita, same thing, upekka, upeksha. These are the Brahma Viharas. Um, okay. Another Buddhist of early times, uh, his name was Buddha Gosha. He proposed a thought experiment, something like that of Meng Tzu. Remember the child in the well? Do you want to hear his thought experiment, Buddha Ghosh? Yeah? Okay. There's, imagine, a totally um, destitute man. That means someone who has lost everything. And this man is suffering a diseased condition. Not only that, but somehow or other, this person has lost both of his hands and both of his feet. <laughs> there are people like that, isn't it? And this person is just lying there, moaning, moaning and groaning in total misery. So we're supposed to picture this situation and then picture ourselves uh, confronting such a person. And Buddha Ghosh tells us the following. He says, compassion should be felt for this person in this way. Quote, this being has indeed been reduced to misery. If only he could be freed from his suffering. Okay. So at least some idea is there. Let this person be freed from his suffering. Again, not just walking by, not just... It's his karma. Yeah, it may be his karma, but it might be our karma that we, if we just walk by and don't do something to help then what will that bring us? The karma of indifference. Hmm. Something to think about. Um, well, this is a kind of meditative technique which is different from, uh, from Meng Tzu. Okay, I'm going to move forward. Time's f moving on and you're all getting hungry. And so I'll move to Ahimsa. The idea of Ahimsa became famous in the West uh, because of one person. And you've all heard of him. Uh, his name was Mohandas Karamchand Gandhi. He came to be known as Mahatma Gandhi uh, because... Um, Rabindranath Tagore once gave him that kind of title and it stuck. Srila uh, Prabhupada is critical of, of this because he says, Mahatma, what is Mahatma? Mahatmanas to Mang Bharta Daivim Prakriti Mashrita. It's described in the Gita who is a Mahatma. It's someone who is surrendered to the Lord and uh, Srila Prabhupada did not feel that Gandhi was surrendered to the Lord otherwise he would have given up politics entirely and would have uh, preached Bhagavad Gita. Gandhi had a different idea. Prabhupada anticipated, he, he predicted you could say and he even warned Gandhi that if he continued as he was doing uh, he would be assassinated. He wrote him a letter. He didn't, never got a reply. But he wrote a letter um, saying, please give all of this up and just preach Bhagavad Gita. And that wasn't so much long before he actually was assassinated in 1948. Well, that's 
that's the sad history, but uh, long before this, he, he spoke extensively and wrote extensively on the subject of ahimsa. Um, and of course, he didn't invent, invent the idea. We find the word ahimsa in Bhagavad Gita. It's mentioned, I think, four times. Uh, each time in Bhagavad Gita, it's simply mentioned uh, in a list uh, of different virtues. Uh, so it's not, um, it's not really elaborated. And you can say, well, why should it be? The Bhagavad Gita is about war. Krishna's persuading Arjuna to fight in a battle. He's not telling him to give everything up. Quite the opposite. Well, there's a whole discussion about that. At one time, and this was not his only thought on the Gita, but and Prabhupada criticized him for this also, but he said, Bhagavad Gita is teaching ahimsa only. It's not teaching about uh, violence. Well, that's another subject. But the idea of ahimsa goes way back in time. In the Vedic literature, um, ahimsa is mentioned uh, and it's in relation to the idea of rejecting uh, rituals of animal sacrifice. With the idea we go ahead with sacrifice because sacrifice must be done. This is a very core idea of the Veda. But how do we do it uh, without killing animals? It gets a little complicated though because even without killing animals the idea is there that killing is going on that even when you're offering grains in the fire, those grains were potential, um, you know, grains, I mean, plants, whatever. Uh, well, later on, especially in the Mahabharata, Ahimsa becomes uh, very important. And this is interesting. Of course, Bhagavad Gita is part of the uh, Mahabharata. But then later in the Mahabharata, uh, after the war, after everybody's dead, <laughs> then Bhishma talks about Ahimsa. Ahimsa is a really great idea. Maybe we shouldn't have had this war. <laughs> in a sense, you can say it like that. Uh, he praises, uh, he says in one verse, he says, Ahimsa is the perfection of dharma, it's the highest dharma, uh, it's the best of sacrifice, it's the best of everything. And essentially it's associated then with dharma. Dharma is proper, righteous, human life. So what is Ahimsa? Ahimsa Himsa means to strike, it means um, to harm. And ahimsa, to not harm. But what does Krishna, not Krishna, what does Sutta Goswami say in the Bhagavatam? Mm. Ahastani sahastanam apadani chatuspadam Palguni tatramahatam jivo jivasya jivanam. It's the harsh reality of biological violence. Yes, exactly. Ahastani, those without hands, sahastanam, are food for those with hands. Apadani, chatuspadam, and those living entities without feet are food for those with four feet. Palguni, tatramahatam, uh, the small are essentially food for the big. 
Jivo Jivasya Jivanam. Life is life for life. <laughs> that's, that's the harsh biological reality. There's no getting away from violence. The Jains, I complicate things here a little bit, the Jain tradition of India, which also started around 500 years before the common era, they radicalized the idea of ahimsa and they said, um, the way to liberation is by stopping violence. And there are 432 types of violence and we should try to avoid all of them. And here are the 40, 432 types. Number one, no. <laughs> and in general, violence is committed by the act of eating. I shouldn't be saying this before prasada, but... Uh, this is the Jain idea that you, you can't avoid it. So the best way to avoid violence is to stop eating. And, uh, and some actually do that. There's a process when someone becomes very, very much older and their health is declining or there can be other reasons they take permission from the uh, from the Jain sadhus to give up their life by fasting. That's called salekana, and it's done in a very public way. So public that I found—I don't know if it's still there—but I found a case of this on YouTube. The video was shown. Even the moment of death was there. No problem, it should be public, <laughs> apparently. Um, well, uh, coming to 20th century again, Mahatma Gandhi was using uh, his idea of nonviolence as a principle for political resistance. And again, Prabhupada was critical of this. Uh, he also uh, engaged in a practice at times of fasting. And yes, Prabhupada was critical of this. It's mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita. There's uh, austerity in different modes of nature. Goodness, passion, ignorance. And austerity in the mode of passion, I believe it is. Uh, is is causing pain to uh, the super soul within, uh, and and so to uh, one is forced. It's 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 a kind of irony because you're fasting, uh, which seems like nonviolence, but it ends up becoming another form of violence becomes a violence to yourself. <laughs> so so how do you stop how do you stop violence? There's only one way we understand from Bhagavad Gita. What's that? Patram Pushpam Palam Toyam Yome Bhakta Prayachati Tadaham Bhaktyuparitam Ashnami Prayatatmana Offer me, Krishna says, a leaf, flower, fruit, water, and I will accept it if you offer it with? Well, Krishna doesn't say priti, he says. What does he say? Huh? Yeah, bhakti, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so bhakti, bhakti is is how one practices ahimsa. 
by offering everything yat yat karoshi yat ashnashi ashnashi means whatever you eat yat chuhoshi uh, whatever you offer and give away dadasi yat yat tapasyasi whatever austerity you do tat kurushva do it do it Krishna says mat arpanam for me for Krishna yat karoshi yat ashnashi Krishna is very inclusive he says whatever you do yat karoshi yat ashnashi yat chuhoshi dadasi yat tapasyasi konteya tat kurushva mat arpanam do it for me Krishna says oh this Krishna he's so selfish he wants everything for himself <laughs> if if I were to you know write a book the Krishna Kshetra Swami Samhita and say whatever you do whatever you you know offer whatever you give away whatever you eat do it as an offering for me uh, no wouldn't get very far distribute my books no <laughs> so <laughs> but Krishna can say this why because Krishna is uh, as a result of doing this what is he doing he's saying I take you back home back to Godhead and what happens in, in the spiritual world? No karma, no violence. Only lila. Rumors of violence will be there. Rumors. Rumors of demons. Yeah. But that's just to keep things a little exciting. Just to keep a little spice. There may be some... There are some demons coming. Really? Where? Get ready. Krishna. In that way they call Krishna. Aufregung, <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I really just kind of um, couldn't cover everything in this because... Uh, of the way things are, but that's okay. Time is passing, and I think I'll stop there. Um, essential idea, though, we understand, and I, I, I give a, a. You can imagine the slide. You all know this picture of uh, the changing bodies uh, with the infinity sign in the middle. Remember, it shows the amphibians and the horses and the cows and the underneath and then it shows uh, somebody getting older and dying and then being born and getting older. You know that picture, right? Yeah, so I show that uh, for the Chinese uh, to explain that uh, that's all of us. <laughs> and yes, we're all sentient beings and not just human beings because in Confucianism, the concern is for human beings. And it's very nice. They have very nice uh, ideas of humanity for human beings. But uh, what I do is suggest is to suggest how about extending that out? Just as you start uh, with the family and the feelings that are naturally there in the family and you extend those out to other human beings, what if you would extend this out to other beings, to animals. And of course, they have some sense of this, um, you know, with their pets. Interesting phenomenon in India. The last time I was in India in January, in Mumbai, and a couple of times uh, chanting Japa, I went out, because I was staying in Juhu, so I went to the beach there. It's 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 right there. And this is where Srila Prabhupada would walk with uh, disciples sometimes in the early morning. Um, there are many recordings of Srila Prabhupada's uh, conversations that he would have while walking along. 
And many, many people, it's a big beach, it goes all the way down to central Mumbai. Uh, so by a certain time in the morning, you'll see hundreds of people on the beach and they're walking and some are jogging and people are doing different things. And more and more, you'll see people walking their dogs. Um, because now, you know, Mumbai has become, it's more and more upscale. And so more as India becomes more, has more and more middle class people, so now there's more and more dogs. And so they're caring for their dogs. Um, China also. More of this because uh, we we think of Chinese as dog eater, right? Shvapaka, um, but now more Chinese are instead of eating their dog, they are walking their dog on a leash. So this may be a step in the right direction uh, to understanding, and then. Uh, but what is the completion of ahimsa? It is, uh, Prabhupada said, true ahimsa is to share Krishna consciousness with others. That is, and to not do that, he said, that is violence. To not share Krishna with others, that is violence. So it's something we can think about how how can we make an effort to share whatever our understanding of Krishna is, Krishna consciousness, how could we perhaps give that to others? Right? Then we're avoiding violence. And then we are practicing karuna. And then we are really practicing ren. So then you will be all ready to go to China and when we meet people we will they will say what are you about and we will say it's all about Ren ah yes huh <laughs> okay yes I think I should stop there unless someone has a comment or a question yes Maharaj The Brahma vi, vi, var, yeah. Yeah, Vihara. have a big problem with the idea of super soul uh, what to speak of Krishna what to speak of soul <laughs> ultimately for Buddhists generally and this is a point of debate um, but uh, they have this idea of anatmavada that there is no self um, but that's kind of they kind of put that on the side when they discuss ethics. It's a little bit interesting that way. Uh, but yeah, we have it easy. We just remember Krishna, and Krishna's in everyone's heart. And uh, titikshava, karinika, suhrida, sarvadehinam. Suhrida uh, is another word for mitra. It actually means closer friend. Suhrida is a really good friend. Sarvadehinam. And Ajata Shatrava, the sadhu is one whose enemy is not born, literally. Has has no has no enemy. Um, it's just a funny Sanskrit way of putting it. One whose enemy is not born means having no enemies. 
So, yeah, you're right. Thank you. Yes. It's it's uh, one of our regulations. In fact, there are these ten nama aparadas, and the ninth of them is to uh, preach the glories of the holy name to the faithless. And this can be taken narrowly, just preaching about chanting Hare Krishna, but it can t- be taken more broadly as well. And so in what is a preacher? A preacher is one who can sense what a person is ready for. And that's that's an art. We don't get that from reading books. Right? <laughs> and so it also means, uh, because we may not be so expert uh, and so skilled, we may sometimes be a bit clumsy in giving more that's more than someone can take. Uh, and that's also forgivable because the sincerity is there and Srila Prabhupada would sometimes um, defend his followers that yeah, they may be doing so many things in a faulty way, but they are trying, they are practicing, so it's okay. At the same time, we want to improve. And um, another point is when we are taking this word dialogue, it means also listening. And yes, everyone is in the modes of nature, we say. Uh, Everyone is conditioned and so you may ask so what could I possibly learn from someone from an, from another conditioned soul well uh, one thing you can learn is just what sort of challenges a person has in their life and from that you can learn you can see how you might be able to help them in a very particular way with some particular problem that they have. And by giving a suggestion how they might be helped in that particular way, what happens? They gain some faith in you. And if someone starts to have faith in you, what happens? Then they start to open up. And then they can start to listen. But it only comes if the person feels that you are willing to listen to them. Isn't it? So the neophyte uh, preacher will be very good at shaking the finger. You should do this, you should do this, you should believe this, you should accept that. You should do, 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 this, 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 this. And if you don't, you're in Maya. (laughs) And then people say, okay, I guess I'm in Maya, and then they go. (laughs) So that's not helping very much. Um, And... To listen to others is to be open to be a someone's friend. And to be someone's friend is also to commit yourself in a way which um, is 
can be demanding. It can be it can uh, call for your attention, for your energy, for your for your care. But that's really what we're about. If we're if we really want to be a community which is attractive for others to be part of, then really this is the only way. Isn't it? I think so. <laughs> I could be wrong. Yeah. I don't care how much you know until I know that you care. Yeah. 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 I don't care how much you know until I know that you care. Yeah, that's true. Nice little slogan. Mm. Right. Shall we end with that? I can hear I can hear the stomachs growling. And we're taking only Krishna Prasadam, which is karma-free. Hare Krishna. So I wish you all the best um, for the rest of the day, the rest of the week. I was happy I could come here uh, for a couple of days from Ranadesh. And I'll be going back tomorrow. And I'll be going to India end of the month. And anyone coming to Mayapur? In uh, January, February? No, maybe. Maybe. Okay. So, why not? <laughs> well, or Vrindavan. Actually, I'm probably more likely to be in Vrindavan late January, early February. Hare Krishna, Srila Prabhupada, Ki Jai, Shishi Radha Madan Mohan, Ki Jai, Gaur Premanande. Hare Krishna.